Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. We are going to be uh, speaking this morning on growing in grace. Growing in grace. There's a, there was a, an old preacher. <clears throat> He's been dead for quite a while now. But anyway, he, uh, he, had, a, he had a story about a household dog. And a household dog, you know, is a big old dog that sits down underneath the master's table. And the master's table, and he's always looking up. How many people have got dogs? All right. We've got a little dog. And uh, I've tried as much as I can to try and stop the dog from begging at the table. How many people know you can't stop dogs from doing that? So, uh, so anyway, here's this household dog, and the household dog comes and he sits at the, at the master's feet and he's looking up with those eyes and, and just begging the master for just a crumb or two. And occasionally, you know, one will slip down off the table. In my household, that's when I'm not looking. All right? <laughs> Either the kids or Becky or somebody will just take something and feed it to the dog. And, uh, but anyway, the dog does that. And the master then turns around to Rover, because all dogs know Rover in illustrations. Uh, the master turns around to Rover and he takes his plate, which has got a nice big slab of beef on it. And he goes and he places it down on the floor. And the dog comes up and he sniffs it and he looks at it. And then he turns away and he goes and walks and lies down in the corner of the room. And the dog did that because the dog didn't think he was good enough to eat that. Instead, he just begs for the scraps. And that's an illustration of Christians. You know, it's an illustration of us. Because, you know, we beg God for just one scrap. We beg God that he will just be merciful enough, that he will just give us one drop of water, one drop of grace, just something that'll, that'll help us, that'll sustain us. And yet, he's laid out a banqueting table before us. As Troy's already said this morning, there's a whole table that is full of everything that Christ has won for us and purchased for us on the cross. And it's all laid out on this table and it's absolutely freely available. And there's a place at that table and it has your name on it. And it's got my name on it. And we sit down at that table and we can have anything that Christ has purchased for us. It's there for the taking. But instead, we beg God for just a scrap. We behave like paupers. We behave like beggars before God. And yet God said, none of my righteous shall be seen begging for bread. But that's what we do with God. That's what we do with his grace. So I'm going to talk about growing in grace because we need to learn about it. We need to grow in grace. Grace is awesome. So what do we mean by grace? We we have various sort of uh, acrostics that we've uh, sort of come up with in the past and we have very nice quick sayings you know like it's undeserved favor and it's God's riches uh, God's riches at Christ's expense that sort of thing and these are all good they're all very true but these sayings that we have have a, have a way of masking the deeper truths of, of what we what we try to understand about God's grace because we actually think that because we know the saying we actually know what grace is and uh, and so we skip over those things now, in the New Testament, the New Testament obviously was, uh, was a completely different time to our time. So what we understand of grace and the way that we use the word grace isn't necessarily the same way that they would have understood how grace was used and how they actually used it in the New Testament because the meaning of grace has slightly shifted over that time. But this is what a general meaning of grace. Grace is quite a broad Uh, quite a broad word. It has a range of meanings. And this is what it means. 
and as an overview, that grace is a state of kindness and favor towards somebody. So it's a state of kindness and favor. So that's the talking about how God has kindness and favor towards us. It's not just a one-off thing. It's a state. It's permanent. It's always there. It's a state of kindness and favor. And it has a focus on being a, a, a benefit being given to somebody or a gift which would be given to somebody. So a gift can be a grace or favor can be a grace or benefit can be grace. All those things make up that meaning of the word grace. So kindness and grace, uh, is, is that's what grace means. And that's what we read about in the New Testament. That's what God's grace towards us is in the New Testament. And so I want you to remember that it's a state of kindness and favor as we begin to unpack a little bit about growing in grace. Keep that illustration in mind. So grace is not static. Grace isn't just a one-time thing. Grace isn't just, uh, if you imagine somebody giving a gift, you know, you've got a little box there, it's all nicely wrapped up, it's got a ribbon and stuff, and, and, and they give, you, give it to you as a little, a little present or something like that. That is a grace. Okay, that is a grace. But that's not what a state of grace means. Once that, once that gift is given, it's, it's given. That's it. A state of grace is something which is continuous. It's actually got movement involved in it. Grace actually uh, is... is it has a beginning, it has an origin, and the origin is in the heart of the person giving the grace. And it has a movement towards a goal. So grace isn't a static thing. Grace has movement in it. It's an action. Grace is a giving. It has a goal. It has an end point. So as it comes, it's got its origin in me, and it moves towards somebody else. That is grace. It's that movement of grace. My kids live in a state of grace, Mine anyway, not anyone else's, but they certainly they live in a state of my grace. Yet my kids have my favour, right? I feed my kids whether they deserve it or not. <laughs> I love my kids whether they deserve it or not. It doesn't matter if my kids misbehave and it doesn't matter even if I discipline my kids. They live in a state of my grace. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. It's not that I don't get a reward out of having them, I do. But, but you know, I, I just have a state of grace towards my kids just because they're my kids and for no other reason whatsoever. You know, my kids, the, 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 my greatest feelings of grace towards them are when they're asleep. <laughs> and they're not doing anything to please me. Well, actually, they are. <laughs> my kids live in a state of my grace. And as children of God, we live in a state of God's grace. His grace is always, always moving towards us. We are the object of God's grace, which he pours out upon us. So let's have a, let's have a look at, uh, at some scriptures here. It's important that we understand the picture that the New Testament paints of grace. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to paint some mental pictures here, just like we've already painted that picture of the banquet table. We're going to paint some more pictures here. The reason why it's important to understand how the New Testament paints this picture of grace is because it actually reveals a facet of God's character. It shows us a little bit about what God is like and, and allows us to understand him more as our Heavenly Father. It, because of his character, we begin to understand about the relationship that we have with him in a greater dimension. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Paul writes, He is so rich 
in his kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Rich grace. This is the picture that Paul's painting, that God's grace towards us isn't just grace, it's rich grace. There's a, there's a lavishness about this grace that God pours out to us. There's a lavishness and a richness about this grace which God has that we can tap into. And when you think about the character of God, you know, God is completely holy. Uh, what, what possible measure could God do to, to show his grace, his loving favor and kindness towards us? What, what, what is there that he could do which would match the largesse, the size of his grace. What kind of gift could God possibly give that would match him and give him honor back because of who he is? And it's nothing more than his one and only son. That God gave absolutely everything that he had because only Jesus was the one that could match the size of his grace as a gift that could be given. There was nothing else that God could give which would match it. The lavishness of God's grace towards us was only matched by the lavishness of the gift that he gave in his son, Jesus Christ. You can tell the size of a person's love by what it costs them in the gift they give. When somebody, there's this old song that's coming up, when a man loves a woman, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, You know, and they get engaged. I told you you stole all my illustrations. You know, you buy, a, um, you buy an engagement ring. Well, for a, for a guy, you know, usually you get engaged, you know, when you're fairly young. And uh, it's usually when you don't have a lot of money. And, uh, but you buy, the, you buy the thing that is going to express the love that you have for this woman. And so you buy the biggest, most expensive, most glittery rock that you possibly can uh, you know, and, and you put everything that you got in, you save up for it. You might even go into debt for it. Uh, you know, uh, so the size of a person's love is based upon the, the expense or the cost, not so much the actual expense, but the cost it costs the person to give. Because a small thing, two widows mites cost her more than a guy who put in a hundred bucks who had a thousand. So it's the size of the gift, what it costs a person. And God's cost of his son was everything he had. And he gave it for you and me. That gives us an indication of the character of God. It gives us an indication of the size of his grace that is available towards us. Jesus told two parables uh, in the New Testament, in Matthew 13, 44 and 46. These are parables of the kingdom. And again, he's illustrating about, about the largesse of God's grace towards us. Says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned. He didn't have anything left. Everything he had, he sold it so that he could get enough money to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, left nothing back. This is all out. This is jumping off the edge of the cliff. There is nothing left. You've got to be fully committed. And this is what God was. God was fully committed to you and I. He saw you and I as 
valuable enough that he would give everything he had, risk it all, and gave his only son. God sold everything to bring you into his kingdom. I'll keep it on our time. There we go, plenty. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 14. Again, I want to continue painting this picture about the size and the nature of God's grace towards us. And they, these are the saints in Jerusalem, who were suffering a famine. Paul begins to take up an offering for them. And he's going to go and take them. And and he's talking to the Corinthians about when he comes, he collects that. He's going to take it to Jerusalem. This is what what they're going to to do. And the saints in Jerusalem will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Overflowing grace. So again, that's not just something that God gives you. It's not a tidbit. It's not a crumb that falls for the master's table. That's not overflowing. This is overflowing grace which God has given to you. Now, I need Jeremy to stand up because we're going to do an illustration with Jeremy. Stress ball. Overflowing grace. This word overflowing. I've got a ball here, and there's Jeremy, and uh, he's a good catcher. No pressure. (laughs) All right, and I'm going to throw this ball to Jeremy. Awesome. And he caught it. You can throw it back. There you go. I'm not such a good catcher. Certainly not with one hand. There we go. Thank you. All right. Now, that word for throw in the Greek, you have to keep standing. I haven't finished yet. All right. That word in the Greek, I overflow. That word to throw is ballo. It's to throw. All right. But that's not the word that's used for overflowing grace. The word used for overflowing grace is hyperballo. So here's the illustration. Catch the ball. That's overflowing grace. That isn't just throwing to you so you can catch it. That's not just a a nice, you only get what you need. But this is hyperballo, hyper, more than enough, overflowing grace. It goes way up over and above. Hyper means way beyond and past. God's grace towards you is more than you need. It's more than enough. It's not just enough. We don't serve a God of just enough. We serve a God of overflowing grace that whatever you need from him, he doesn't just say, okay, I'll just get in my pocket. I'll count my coins out. and I'll do, Oh, that's too much. Let's take a little bit. All right, you can have that. That's not our God. Our God just pours it out. Pours it out more than you need, more than enough because that is who he is. That is the nature of his grace. A banqueting table full of food. You are never going to get through that in one sitting. There's more than enough for you, more than enough for everybody. That is this overflowing grace that God has towards his children. I was talking to an ex-addict yesterday. And uh, I was talking to him about the message and talking to him about this. You know, and he said to me, and uh, some of you may be able to relate to this, I don't know. Is that as a drug addict, you know, if he went to a party or whatever or he went somewhere and the drugs were available, he said he never held back. He said you could have as much as you wanted. You don't just take a little bit for yourself and then just uh, in exercise some self-restraint. No, it's there. You take as much as you need and you enjoy as much as you want. 
And that is the attitude that God wants us to have towards his grace. Don't just take a little bit. Don't be like the dog who just begs for a scrap. There is more than enough and you can go and you can take what you need. Anything that you need, you can take it. It's all there for you. You need to become addicts. Have the attitude of a drug addict towards God's grace. Because grace is good and it is kind and it is favorable and it overflows towards you and it doesn't cause you any harm. You need to become an addict for God's grace and grab as much of it as you possibly can. So you've got permission to do that. So God's loving kindness and favor towards his children overflows beyond measure. You don't have to exercise self-restraint when it comes to God's grace because he's got plenty more of it where it came from. But God's grace can be refused. You don't always get it automatically. You can resist it. In Hebrews 13 and verses 9, the second half of the verse, it says, Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which do not help those who follow them. In the New Testament, the writer to Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians were those who came out of Judaism and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So they're saved. But there was a certain part of those Jewish believers who who, uh, who said that, you know what, uh, in order to be a Christian, you have to become circumcised and you have to obey the law as well. And this was, a, this was a, a popular contention in the New Testament. You read about that all the time in Paul's letters. But also there came a point in time where the Christians uh, in, in Rome, which is where the, the letter to Hebrews is written to the Hebrews in Rome, uh, in Rome, where the Christians became under persecution an intense amount of persecution. And they'd already been through one set of persecutions and that had stopped and now they're facing another round of persecution. And in between getting persecuted the first time, where Jews and Christians were persecuted, the second time round, it was only Christians that were being persecuted because the Jews had talked to Caesar and got a get-out-of-jail-free card. They didn't have to bow down and worship Caesar because they were an ancient religion. They got an absolution. They didn't have to bow down and worship Caesar so long as they continued to pay taxes, right? So that's what they did. And so uh, for a Christian who was a Jew who came out of Judaism, now facing intense persecution, they thought, I can go, if I, if I go back to Judaism, if I go back to the law, if I go back to doing those things, then I will escape and I can rely on the other things that, that I used to rely on and I don't have to rely on the grace of God. And so what you have in that situation is that you have these believers who are now no longer relying on the grace that was given to them in Jesus Christ, but looking for something else to replace it. And they missed out. In James 4 and verse 6, James says he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride and self-reliance will hinder you 
from receiving the free gift of grace, which is in God. How do we do that? You know, as Christians, do we, do we rely on our own abilities? Do we rely on our own skills? Do we rely on our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own ability to do things for ourselves? Or do we rely on God? Do we rely on the grace which he's given us? Because self-reliance is rooted in pride. I don't need grace because I have an ability to do it for myself. And that's, you know, this is one of the traps which money and consumerism draws us into. Because the more we have, the more we have an ability to work out our own needs. And so we stop relying on the grace which Christ has for us. We stop relying on the fact that God is able to provide all things for us. And we begin to rely on our money. We begin to rely on our home. We begin to rely on the security of our mortgage and the things around us. And we begin to rely on what the world can give us to keep us safe and secure. It's a trap. Because what we're doing very, very, uh, very subtly is that we begin to draw away from the grace of God and a reliance on him. And we begin to substitute that for something else, my own ability. And pride. Pride. I don't need anybody to help me. Here's a thought for you. Anybody who is on Centrelink payment is, on, is in receipt of grace. You're in, you're in a state of grace. Because there's a benefit that is given to you, not because you deserve it. It's given to you because you just happen to be an Australian citizen. That's given to you. It's a benefit. But there are those I know who, out of pride, won't go on the benefit system. And they miss out and they struggle and their families struggle because they refuse through their own pride. Nobody's going to help me. I'll do it on my own. You know, it's one of those things that uh, uh, is particular, I think, to our culture in Australia. You know, we were born out of a pioneering generation. And that pioneering generation needed to be hard. It needed to be self-reliant. It needed to be able to survive in a tough environment like we have here. Harsh summers, harsh uh, you know, crops, that sort of thing. We got long, extended periods of drought. It was hard work being a pioneer in those days. And that is that has gone through an Australian culture. And we have a spirit of self-reliance. We have a spirit of pride that refuses to be helped, even though help is available. And that can flow on through into our Christian life as well. There's no shame in being on Centrelink Benefit. I've been on it. It's freely available for you. Don't stay on it because God's got more for you than that. But it's there for you. It's a grace. So pride and self-reliance can stop you from getting underneath God's grace. See, this overflowing and abundant grace is, is, uh, is a bit like a waterfall. You see, when you see... Uh, I, I, went to, um, I went to Kakadu in the, in the rainy season... And I went to a particular waterfall there. I can't remember which one it was. But the volume of water that was just cascading off of this rock is a picture of God's grace. Because that waterfall just runs. There is so much water. There's just this volume of noise and water that just roars as it comes down into the, into the billabong down below. And that is a picture of God's overflowing grace. There's more than enough for you. 
but your pride and your self-reliance will stop you from getting underneath that waterfall. Because that's what God wants you to do. You need to get into and underneath that waterfall. Just allow that waterfall of God's grace to cascade upon you and through you. Pride and self-reliance will keep you away from that. Unbelief will keep you from approaching the waterfall of God's grace. You simply believe a lie that God has nothing for you or that God doesn't care for you enough that he would provide for your needs. It's just a, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That God just doesn't have enough or he doesn't love you enough or that you're disqualified for some reason or another. Something that you've done just means that God's goodness and kindness and grace and favor just won't extend towards you. So you don't take your seat at the table. And you don't receive all that you need from him. Instead, you, you're in the corner with the dog. Not believing that, that, that what Christ has done is, is enough. And it's for you. But you beg for scraps. And that's all rooted in unbelief. Because you've believed a lie. Believed a lie that it's just not going to be there. What happens if I sit at the table and my plate stays empty? I won't sit at the table. What I'll do, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go out and I'll go and buy a takeaway. And I'll eat it in my room rather than sit at God's banqueting table. I'll go and pay for a meal myself and I'll eat it myself on my own rather than sit at God's banqueting table and eat for free all that I can eat. Unbelief. That's the only reason why that stops you from being at the table. If you don't believe that God is a good God and that he loves you. Fear. Fear stops you from coming to the, the waterfall of God's grace. You fear that if I come and I accept all that God's got for me, it's going to come with a heavy price tag. That God, when he gives, gives with strings attached. That he's going to exact a price from me. That 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 getting all of this stuff is going to cost me something. And so fear begins to rise up and you say, well, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to hold my hand out. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to come to this overflowing waterfall of grace because it's going to cost me too much. It's not going to cost you anything. It costs Jesus everything so that you could have it for free. It doesn't cost you. God doesn't give with strings. He's got overflowing and abundant grace that he wants to pour out to you. I know a guy, and uh, he told me once that he would never ask God for a wife because he was frightened that God would give him an ugly woman. Fear. Fear. He could not trust God and would not pray and would not receive the grace that God had for him, wouldn't accept God's choosing for him just in case he was ugly. To my knowledge, he's still single. And he'd be in his 50s now. Some belief. You see, that unbelief betrays in you a misunderstanding of who your father God is. 
See, if you hold on to those kind of lies that keep you away from receiving the free gift of grace, it's because you don't understand your father. You don't understand how good he is. Maybe you had a father who wasn't a good example and you projected that upon your heavenly father. I said, but that's not how God is. That's not who he is. God's grace is dependable. His kindness and his grace towards you, his favor that is over you is so firm, it is so fixed, it is so dependable that you can actually make a demand on grace. Now that's something that we don't think about is that I can actually go to my Heavenly Father and I can demand grace. That's how stable it is. That's how dependable it is that I know that it's going to be available for me and I can draw on it any time that I want. Acts 13 and verse 43, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. They continued to rely on the grace of God. That was the gospel message. You don't need to rely on those old things that have gone before, but you need to rely on the grace, the freely purchased things that Christ has given for you and given to you as a grace. Rely on them. And if they had to continue to urge the saints to rely on grace, it's because they weren't. They weren't relying on grace. They kept falling away from grace. 1 Peter 5 and the second half of verse 12. My purpose in writing to encourage you is to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm. It's rock solid. It isn't whimsical. It isn't something that comes and goes. It isn't something which is just enough. It is so firm. It is so sure that you can stand on it. It's as solid, solider, if that even is a word, than the platform that I am standing on. You can rely on it. Stand firm in it. There are two reasons why you can stand firm in God's grace. Two reasons. The first reason is the nature of God, the God's own character. God is always the same. He never changes. He's not like a shifting shadow. He doesn't like a vapor that disappears and his grace is with you one moment and then, and then trouble happens and it disappears. But God is never changing. God is so reliable and so dependable that you know you can come before him and always receive his grace because it's not based upon you and it's not based upon what your abilities are to please him or anything else like that. It's based upon his character. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and never changing. And the second reason you can depend upon God's grace is because of the completeness of Christ's work on the cross. The waterfall of God's grace and favor never, ever runs dry because the work of Jesus on the cross was so completely completed that it cannot be undone. Is that God through Jesus Christ, through the gift of his son, that supreme sacrifice was so utterly complete, it cannot be undone. And so those two things, the character of God and the completeness of your salvation, are two reasons why you can utterly 
utterly rely and depend upon God's grace. I want to ask the band to come back now. I want you to stand. You know, this grace that is ours, the love, the kindness, the favor of Father God is ours through Jesus Christ. And every single one of us can come to the waterfall of God's grace. Everyone. There's not anybody excluded. Christ died for the whole world, not just for the saved, because none of us were actually saved then. Christ died while we were yet sinners, while we were undeserving. We None of us deserved it when Christ gave it. Christ gave his life before there were any Christians. So grace isn't there just for Christians. Grace is there for those who aren't yet Christians. It's especially and abundantly available to you if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to ask you this morning, if you want to, if you want to sit at the banqueting table, if you want to be able to rely on this super abundant, hyper abundant grace which God has for you, and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do so right now. You can come to the waterfall of God's grace and you can receive from Him everything that you need. Everything that you need from Him. You don't have to rely on yourself anymore. You don't have to rely on what you can get out of your own efforts, but you can begin to rely upon the love and the grace and the provision that God has for you. This is with everybody's eyes closed now. I'm going to ask, if you have never accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never done this before, if you've never prayed a prayer which says, Lord Jesus, I give up self-reliance and I look to you to be my Savior. If you've never prayed that prayer before and you would like to, I want you to indicate to me just by raising your hand, everybody else's eyes are closed. Nobody's going to see you. This isn't about everybody else. Because this is between you and God. If you would like to do that, just indicate to me now. Maybe you've fallen away from God's grace. Maybe you've found that, you know, you just life has gotten you down or maybe you've become very successful and you've stopped relying upon the grace of God that you once relied upon and you need more your life is feeling a bit thin you're feeling as though you pulled away from God and you're not in receipt of all that he has for you and I'm inviting you to get underneath the waterfall right now I want you to, with your eyes closed, you can receive. Now, you can take as much as you need. With your eyes closed right now, if you need this grace, I want you to imagine that waterfall right now. 
I want you to see the water cascading down. I want you to hear the sound of God's grace. And I don't want you just to now see it from afar. I now want you to start walking towards that waterfall. And as you walk towards that waterfall, I want you to feel, I want you to feel that mist as it begins to fall on your face and refresh you. And as you get closer, I want you actually now to reach out and put your hand in that waterfall. And I want you to feel the weight of God's favor and the weight of God's grace upon your life. And I want you now to step in, step right in, step underneath that waterfall, feel it on your head, feel it on your shoulders, feel it on your back. And now feel it going through you. Because in that waterfall of grace is everything that you need. Salvation is there. Healing is there. Forgiveness is there. Deliverance is there. Everything that you need to live this life is available for you right now in this waterfall. Just allow it to wash through you. Some of you feel shame. And you feel that there's a darkness over your heart. And there's still a bit of unworthiness still there. I want you to feel that waterfall just washing through your heart right now. And that darkness and that shadow just gets washed away. Leaving your heart pure and clean. That's Christ's forgiveness available to you. In this waterfall, this abundant, overflowing favor, kindness and love of God washing over you. Some of you need to feel that again. You haven't felt it for a long time. You haven't felt the love of God for such a long, long time and you are dry and you are thirsty. Drink. Drink now. Drink now. It's available for you now. Feel the love again. Feel that water just bringing you alive and bringing you refreshing, bringing you a fresh new hope. And this waterfall doesn't stop doesn't stop it isn't it's not like somebody turning on a tap and then turning it off it isn't just a small gift that's given to you it is a waterfall that does not stop there's as much as you need drink it Lord Jesus, I pray for everybody here now. I ask you, Lord Jesus, that whatever anybody's need is, that you would just meet it right now because Christ has purchased it. Lord God, we sit at the table now and we take what we need. Lord God, we rely on your grace. We thank you, Lord God. We offer up our thanks and our praise out of a pure heart, a heart which has been washed clean with the blood of Jesus. And we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been away for so long. I'm sorry, Lord, that I have not believed that you're that good. 
I'm sorry, Lord, that I have behaved more as a beggar than as a son and a daughter of the living God. I'm sorry, Lord, that my begging attitude has brought you dishonor because you delight to pour out your grace upon your children. You have provided and paid the price for all this for us. Lord, come and renew us again. Renew in us a steadfast heart and a clean spirit, Lord. Renew the joy of our salvation. All because of the great and wondrous overflowing grace that God has poured out upon us in Jesus Christ. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.